hope to hear my conversation with Richard Wong. We spoke all about value investing, including his thoughts on banks, energy companies, and what 2021 and beyond holds for value. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be here with Richard Wong. Richard leads our Kundal Investment Team, and that's an investment team that's well known for value investing. Richard, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Matt. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this conversation. Value has clearly had a very tough three years uh, where we've seen uh, growth really outperform value, uh, thanks uh, in large part due to the rise of technology uh, companies. Uh, that, that outperformance has even extended throughout the COVID period. Uh, that is until the news of the vac- vaccine. And we have, since that time, seen a bit of a, a value rally. Uh, Richard, I'd love to get your perspective on value investing uh, today and, and the relevance of value investing going forward. Hmm. Uh, very good question, Matt. Um, I uh, believe value investing is very, very relevant uh, today and, and going forward. Um, from uh, historical research that I have seen, uh, if you track value versus growth um, decade after decade since the 1930s to now, um, predominantly significantly more than half of the decades that we ex- have experienced have seen value outperform growth. But we just went through a decade where growth outperformed value. So the recency effect for people is to think that, well, you know, growth is always going to dominate. But it, this actually has been a very unusual decade that we've seen in the past. Um, and this decade is marked by, you know, low inflation, low interest rates, which are helped in the, uh, elevating the valuations of growth stocks. And then, of course, uh, in the last few years, the trade war, which, again, uh, raised concern about, you know, cyclical businesses and then the pandemic, which uh, wreaked havoc on a lot of, you know, businesses, um, they, they, they highlighted the, um, the quote-unquote the defensiveness of tech, technology stocks where you know, people stay at home and they keep on ordering things online. And so the growth over the last few years is, is very um, significant. But um, I believe that um, as society returns to normal life and we're seeing the beginning of the rollout of various vaccines, that uh, – we're most likely looking at a new regime uh, going forward. Um, the comparisons for these growth stocks um, that have done quite well during the pandemic, you know, their comparisons for sales, it's going to be uh, quite difficult a year from now, whereas the comparison for a lot of beat up and depressed value stocks uh, as they recover and, and participate in more of a, a normal world and, and recover, their sales comparisons are going to be huge, uh, we think, going forward. Great. Maybe we can maybe we can dive into that a, a little bit more. So, so the the thesis uh, today, it sounds like, is that you have a portfolio of of companies that you expect to 
benefit from a return to normalcy. Um, I guess maybe to to counter that thesis a little bit, uh, COVID uh, seems like it's a transformational event in, in many uh, in many parts of society. I think of things like working from home. Um, seems like that that's going to stick around at least to some degree. Uh, people's online shopping preferences, these types of things, may extend uh, well into 2021 and beyond. Um, what do you think of that? And and how much of a headwind? would that sort of structural change be to, to the portfolio of value companies that you have? Right. So uh, yeah, I agree that some um, habits um, are going to be uh, formed. You know, somebody who never had an uh, a online shopping account who had to open one uh, because of the pandemic uh, now is a new customer online and may continue sure. to shop online. Uh, that's true. Um I think, uh, you know, somebody who started an, a streaming account to watch movies, now they have an account, you know, they're um, unlikely probably not to cancel it, right? They're, you know, they probably keep it. But what I'm thinking about is the um, the growth rate for these companies, right? So these mm-hmm. these online websites or streaming, they they might have eventually gone on these sales two years from now, three years from now, but because of the con- pandemic, they are all had this year. Right, the people who didn't open, weren't, weren't going to open, open accounts until later, now open the account. So there was a not new customers next year, for example. So, so that right. comparison is what I'm thinking about, and the reflection of of these sales are uh, in the in the valuation of these stocks are are very high. I mean, they're they're very significant in terms of um, how lofty their valuation is. Whereas, you know, you can say, okay, well, maybe people, uh, and I don't own theaters, but for argument's sake. You know, the theaters, are, are people ever going to recur- return to theaters? Uh, maybe people only watch movies online. Well, that's pretty extreme. Uh, I think I think uh, mm-hmm. online viewing has always been, a, been around for quite some time, and, and we still had pretty good theater businesses prior to the pandemic. Uh, theaters keep making money by selling, you know, food and drink and all that stuff. So, so there are businesses that, because they're so depressed, they don't have to go back to 100% to where they were before in order to do very well in terms of their stock price. Right. So the the, uh, the thesis there is, I guess, twofold on the growth side, the, the companies that you're avoiding to invest in and that have done quite well, um, not only are they priced at a premium based on their sales, but the rate of growth is completely unrealistic because they've eff- eff- effectively uh, pushed forward client acquisition, making 2021, you know, uh, more of a retention of client year, call it, uh, where some of the companies that you invest in, you're expecting uh, at least a partial return and therefore a revaluation. Is that is that fair? Yeah, no, that's a good summary. Okay. Um, so maybe we can switch to where you are finding value. You reference theaters and the fact that you don't own theaters. Uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about where you are finding uh, companies that are uh, trading at at good value, and uh, and in the collection of them that you have in the portfolio. Um, the value that uh, we have found over the last few months are uh, primarily in the cyclical area. Um, you know, these could be uh, okay. consumer cyclicals. Um, you know, for example, um, certain retailers that are very, um, defensive against online, um, uh, encroachment, you know, um, there are, their re- retailers 
let's say uh, in um, you know we own uh, Dollar Tree for example. You know Dollar Tree, it's a re-rating story, and um, they're they're still um, investigating how to uh, break the buck. You know, and that breaking the buck means not only selling one dollar items, but selling three, four, five dollar items. That's going to be very marginal, creative, and 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 uh, because of the low prices that they sell at, um, it's very hard for online. Uh, and they don't sell the same kind of stuff that you buy on, say, say Amazon. Anyway, these a lot of them are, are treasure hunt experiences or, or consumer stables that people need to buy, you know. So that's one area where we found a lot of val- you know, value earlier in the year, and we continue to own that. Um, and then, uh, you know, and and for another area we found value in would be in, um, you know, maybe the uh, chemicals, materials area where uh, as industries uh, recover and resume normal manufacturing, um, you know, they have been quite depressed and just the consumption of, you know, these materials, uh, you know, a lot of times they have pricing power, um, would, would, uh, would help them uh, with the valuation uh, quite well going to next year. I mean, names, that, you know, one name that we've had for some time in the area is DuPont, uh, which is a specialty chemical sure. company. Uh, another area that has been really beat up that we like and we increase our weighting in uh, very recently is financials, um, you know, the banks. And uh, obviously the banks are very economically sensitive. And so um, that's why they price uh, so cheaply. But as the economy reco- recovers, um, the very first help they're gonna get is from the reversal of uh, credit provisions they have booked. Um, and uh, so that's gonna be uh, reversing their losses. Um, and uh, as credit improves, um, you know, th- that, that helps them. And then the second one, uh, that could help them is, uh, long demand improve as the economy recovers. Um, and then, um, and then, uh, the banks in the, the large banks, for example, uh, in the U S you know, the, the bank of America or Citibank, for example, they have large, uh, investment banking operations as well as trading and wealth management operations. So those will continue to do well as the economy recovers. And um, obviously, there's a lot of debate about how high interest rates are gonna go. Um, yeah. And uh, we believe we believe that uh, you know their their wealth management business, their investment banking business, and uh, and loan growth itself would offset a lot of the pressure that they would uh, see in the rates. In fact, I I, I think we we we're, we're largely through the pressure they're seeing uh, because of lower rates. Uh, we believe going forward, that's no longer a net negative. It's probably a neutral going forward because um, rates aren't going lower. Uh, rates are going sideways or slightly moving higher. Uh, the long-term bond yield anyway, it's moved a fair bit in the last few months. So that's, um, that is an area that we like uh, in terms of uh, value. And they tend to be, again, more cyclical right now. Right. Um, and you sort of... Uh you sort of front ran my, my question about interest rates in banks, but uh, maybe I'll, I'll come back to it because I think that that's uh, one thing that investors um, innately think, which is, you know, interest rates being at the level that they're at right now makes it difficult for banks to, to generate sufficient profit. Um, but you, you mentioned the diversified banks and the larger banks in the U.S. with wealth management and other other services. Is the idea there that what they are able, what they lose on the interest rate side, they're able to make up through other areas of the bank, or is it just that the banks are trading at a price that is reflective of today's current interest rates, 
uh, and therefore there's there's uh, really just upside left. Yeah, so it's it's a combination of those. Um, first of all, in terms of the um, the lending, um, you know, interest margins, you know, we think that's that's um, at the worst going to be neutral going forward. That they're not going to continue to see more compression. That the cycle of compression is is largely behind us, and the valuation of these banks are pretty well reflecting where they are. So if we um, see some uh, you know recovery, and we believe we will in 2021, 22 in the general economic environment, um, there would be pressure on long-term bond yields up upwards, and potentially some inflationary pressure compared to recent years, and those are going to be uh, helpful. Um, it's not the absolute level of, of of bond yield that matters. It's a it's a relative to a short yield, so it's the steepness of the curve. And as, and as long as that's positive, that's helpful uh, for the banks. You know, they borrow short and lend longer. Second is that most banks have been improving their exposure to fee income, right? Asset management, wealth management, right. uh, you know, and, and 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 investment banking. So that's another that's another area of help. And then thirdly, I mentioned that earlier. Um, we are at the trough of the credit cycle. The banks have had to take uh, massive uh, credit cost provisions. Uh, the last few quarters, uh, we believe that the credit provisions they've taken are significantly more than what will be realized because there has been an accounting change uh, under a new accounting rule. Banks have to book uh, lifelong expected losses, and so a lot of the current scenarios extrapolate into the future by their models in order to book the present right. value of loss. And we believe that exercise has magnified the kind of losses that they. They have had to absorb on an accounting basis. The losses have not yet been realized. And it's very likely that as 2021, 22 unfolds, the absolute level of losses will be a fair bit lower than what they've booked as a provision. And that would be an upside lift to their earnings as well. On top of that, the balance sheets are very, very strong. Most banks are sitting on surplus capital. So as we emerge out of this, there is a very good likelihood that the Federal Reserve would allow the banks to... Uh, to return capital to shareholders uh, probably sometime in next year. And that's another leg for the bank's valuation. Great. Um, one sector that I'd like to, to talk about a little bit uh, <clears throat> that doesn't seem like you have a significant weighting in is energy. Um, I think that, you know, the casual observer would say energy seems like it's a very beat up sector uh, with lots of uh, sort of cheap companies Love to know your take on energy um, and uh, and how you're thinking about incorporating energy in the, the portfolio. So yes, um, energy has been one of the worst performing sectors as you know people stop driving to work or you know airplanes stop taking off. So um, so energy demand has has gone down uh, significantly uh, this year. Um, we are seeing a recovery, and we have slowly increase our exposure uh, to energy. Uh, we believe that, uh, um, you know, currently with, you know, if you have a company that's uh, able to generate cash flow at these price levels and with a strong balance sheet and able to pay a dividend, uh, those dividends are likely very sustainable. And on top of that, they'll participate in a recovery in energy demand and energy demand uh, will recover along with the uh, recovery in the rest of the economy. There's been a lot of talk about, obviously, EV um, 
electric vehicles taking a larger share of uh, the fleet and how that right. could take away energy uh, demand. Uh, but we've looked at various uh, scenarios of penetration of electric vehicles, and I, we believe they will go up. But even in some uh, pretty aggressive scenarios, uh, net global energy demand is still uh, going to increase because you have uh, the growth of emerging markets and uh, middle class in emerging markets uh, that would consume uh, energy. And energy is not just going to drop cars driving. Um, they are going to buy products like, uh, you know, uh, crude is used to make various polymers and so on. So, and they go into uh, various, you know, plastics and, and manufacturing processes. So they are another demand for energy products. And what we focus on are uh, companies that can produce cash and uh, are profitable in the energy space. And of course, uh, it, you know, we want to look at energy companies that, that are thinking about future too. So, you know, uh, is management team thinking about uh, evolving into, you know, renewable energy? What kind of investments are they making in those areas? So those are, those are all, all important because, you know, I don't know in 20 years what the, what the demand for energy will be, but I can tell you that the next few years it would recover strongly. And therefore, it's just time to position for that. But, uh, you know, over a decade or two decades, those then you, you want to have companies that that are um, positioned for, for shifts in uh, in the type of energy we consume in this world. And so, um, so that's something longer term. You know, our investment horizon is generally, you know, the next three years. And we see recovery for that segment in the next few years. So it's a it's a source of opportunity right now that you're approaching. It sounds like cautiously, um, really doing a, a detailed analysis on these companies before uh, committing capital. Is that that's fair? Yeah, because you know, for example, we like the um, the majors. You know, they're the oil producers themselves, mm -hmm. and we're a little bit hesitant about service companies and and equipment companies because um, the level of capital expenditure is quite weak right now. So, right. so cash, you know, so, so we want to focus on, on the companies that can make uh, cash flow, that can make profits, that can reward shareholders, um, in the, in the near term, in the next few years. Um, and, and, you know, I think, um, then we'll see if, if there's a new CapEx cycle, but it might be too early to, to think about that at the moment. I think most of the oil majors are focused on managing their cash flow and, uh, and, uh, you know, paying back dividends, for example. And so in the near term, the valuation, the cash flow generation and the dividend yield are quite attractive in, in the large cap majors right now. So we are slowly, incrementally uh, increasing our exposure there, but it's not a big part of the portfolio right now. Well, I mean, low, low, yeah, maybe mid single digit percentage wise. Okay. Great. Uh, final question for you, Richard. Uh, you referenced at the beginning of the conversation about interest rates pushing uh, valuations higher. Uh, I think you could argue uh, that they've done that across the board as alternatives uh, to, to stocks being bonds, uh, very uh, low, low yielding. Um, when you think of like the Graham and Dodd form of uh, value investing and the, the sort of net nets, as some people call them, um, they're they're not plentiful, and those that are available on the market seem uh, like they're structurally impaired businesses. Uh, I love your perspective on if you agree with what I've, what I've just laid out, how value has changed, and how you're thinking about it uh, going forward. Yeah. So, um, in 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 our minds, um, you know, value is not just buying the cheapest stocks out there. 
you know, not just focus on companies that are trading at the lowest price to book or price to earnings. Um, you know, those valuations reflect a certain reality. And and for us to find value is is valuation is one thing, but uh, the thesis is is very important. In fact, I think that's that is a very big focus for us. You know, here are uh, a list of uh, very cheap stocks, but you know, the question I ask my team and myself is, what's the thesis for driving the re-rating in this stock? What is what is going to get you know top line up, margins up? We, we ultimately uh, the public market rewards growth, right? So we are buying companies that still have the ability to expand their margins, grow their profit dollars, grow their top line, and, and those are uh, important to avoid value trap. And if we get into a really cheap stock, but then we don't see any way why the stock would grow, why the company would would, would prosper, then then there's you know we don't want to get involved with that. So um, so the way we look at value is you know we look at uh, both uh, earnings in terms of earnings recovery. You know if we're buying a cyclical com- cyclical company when their earnings is near the trough, and we believe that there's a very high likelihood of earnings recovery, then we're buying a low multiple stock that would both see earnings grow and multiple expand. So that would be very helpful. That's one type. Another type of uh, value stocks we look at would be companies that might have more steady business profiles that generate cash. And we want to buy them at a discount discount to what their present value of cash flow would be. So that's another uh, type of value we look at. Um, there's also sometimes uh, some of the parts companies where you know a company has various divisions and if they were... Uh, value separately they could be worth a lot more than a whole uh, we do look at yeah. those from time to time we're, we're, we're very careful there though because we need to identify what are the reasons why that valuation was service right so ultimately we need to get paid so um the thesis and the drivers for re-rating is is uh, very much something we focus on beyond just valuation Great. Well, Richard, thanks for spending the the time with me today. Um, I, I can say uh, I've, I've followed you very closely, uh, particularly since the vaccine has been announced. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll see that performance extend uh, into the new year uh, as we see value continue to re-rate. It's an excellent uh, complement and diversification uh, offering compared to um, where the indexes are, frankly, where they've shifted uh, to be tech heavy, growth heavy. So, Richard, thanks again for uh, spending the time with us and all the best. Well, thank you, Matt. It's been a pleasure. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.